0: All right, so I said I would mention something uh, because someone got a really big kick out of uh, teaching me something about Salesforce. Who is this? <laughs> uh, so our fearless leader, Rick, uh, <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was telling me about something he did and it was called Quick Text, and I'd never used it before. But apparently when you go in to send an email or, or do something in the system in that new little UI and lightning, you can, there's a little bubble icon and you can click on it and you can you can add Quick text, and so it's just like a, a way to say it's, it's like a snippet to us developers, mm-hmm. just a little snippet of text that you can kind of create and have it, you know, be repeatable if you're sending the same kind of messages out. And uh, I'd never used that feature, never heard of it, and he wanted to know how to edit it, and I had to admit I'd never heard of that feature before. So, what was, was the? I was taught something about Salesforce. What was the? Goes um... to show you, just being an MVP doesn't mean you know everything about the platform, does it? Well,
1: As far as I'm concerned, there's zero correlation between MVP and knowing what you're doing. But there's a bit of a misconception to that, isn't there? I
0: probably, I would imagine. Can't all be Chuck Liddell's that know a ton of crap about the platform? Exactly. I've been. uh, I watched his uh, his uh, series on what's that site called? Plural site. Plural site. Uh, it's actually pretty good. I actually was watching it
1: today because I'm. So you sound like you're, you are sound surprised, John.
0: I am because mostly usually those type of things they're either really high level or they don't kind of cover things in a certain way that I can understand it very well, or it just it seems like a waste of my time. But the way it progressed and the way the conversation happened because it was kind of conversational because you had Don Robbins there and you had Chuck and he's kind of talking and Don would kind of butt in and say, well, let's let's talk about that or clarify that or do I understand that correctly? And that really helped. Also, the other thing I liked about it, and I'm not trying to be an advertisement here, but I liked about it is every part of it was like about. We two are set or up on a commission
1: th- program, right? Yeah, okay. something like that.
0: So everything was about two or three minute bites. So there are times where they're talking, and I heard something in the previous section, I start zoning out because my brain starts going, How can I use that? or How can I do that? And it was really nice to be able to go, oh, crap, I stopped listening. And just to kind of go back to the section that I missed, and it's only those two-minute sections, so I was able to kind of go back really quickly every time I zoned out. I mean, this is like a whole two-hour thing. I'm not done with it yet, but it was a good background. Uh, One thing that I I realized about myself, I'm not sure I'm the type of person that learns from transitional technologies. Like I I remember a long time ago buying a book like C Sharp for VB developers, and you have like those Java for C sharp developers <laughs> yeah. and all those things. I'm like, I don't like
1: that. I don't either.
0: I mean I get it for certain for for some people that are like, I used to be able to do this in this language, how do I do that in this language? But to me, I'm like, they're two different things. I wanna I wanna know what the best practice is for this, or I wanna learn what the language supports, and I want to develop my own methodology for that language, not try to take what I knew before in Aura and put it into lightning web components. So there's a part of it where he was talking about, you know, the different the different capabilities and the differences between the two that I was kind of like losing it, because I was like, I don't really care that this is this. But I guess, from my perspective and where I'm at today, it's actually kind of a good spot, because everything currently in the application is done in Aura, and I'm pretty much going to make the change and move everything to Lightning Web Components, because I have to rebuild everything anyways. The event system that they implemented in the Aura component framework was just horrible. Not Salesforce, but the... (laughs) Prior developers that I inherited this code from, they, they oh. just did some bad practices with Invent System. They did some bad practices with how they abstracted things or did some reuse and everything. And I really got to rebuild it anyways,
1: yep. so I might as well do it in Lightning Web. And right. right. Yeah, I think as far as the you know the whole like mapping every concept from a previous technology to a new technology. I mean, I agree with you in general. Like, I don't like, for example, for books, I don't really like that style. But I, I think for like what Chuck and and um, Don we're dealing with is like they know who their audience is, and their audience is probably seventy percent of them, probably people who have Aura experience, yeah. And and of those, I bet a big percentage of them of them that is kind of, a lot it's of them their it's, it's, it's their only programming first experience. Only language, yeah. So they don't have like a strong like just general programming experience base to draw from. It's kind of just like what they learned in the Salesforce world, you know, from yeah. doing Trailhead. And so the quickest way to get someone like that to being somewhat productive in LWC is probably (laughs) just mapping the concepts from Aura to LWC. Yeah. Which is funny enough because he literally did that. Yeah. He came
0: up with this little quiz and had Don draw lines from previous concepts in Aura to lines in in LWC. And obviously there were some things that just didn't map because those concepts are gone. I, I do like the approach that Lightning is taking or, I'm sorry, Lightning Web Components is taking in that a lot of the issues that we have with Aura in terms of being able to test or the way it manages the DOM or how things how the bindings work and everything i do like the new framework and how it's much more static based, and you have to basically be when it comes to bindings you have to intentionally kind of initiate the updates to those bindings versus aura where there's a lot more magic and things were kind of hard to trace and troubleshoot and things like that so as i get into it more i'm sure i'll have more feedback on on what i'm learning but so far i'm i'm I really like the direction it's going, and I like the concepts in it. So,
1: yeah, it's and, and in fact, I mean, the problem, one of the things with Aura, maybe it was maybe not for the time, but it seems like it was almost too novel. Whereas LWC, it's it's not really novel. They just looked at what other somewhat competitive front end frameworks are doing, and kind of just said, let's just do that. Yeah, and that's basically what it is. I mean, well, I think when they started Aura. Any kind of
0: initiative towards Web Components was pretty early on or non-existent and so they were kind of rolling their own concepts of that, but then as, the, as Web Components became more prevalent on, on the W3C side of things, um, more standards-based, I think that's when they saw the opportunity to kind of transition and use those concepts and layer on whatever additional security blockers they want to add to the system because of their multi-tenant environment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's going to be... But even then, Web Components kind of conceptually is about sandboxing and isolating oh, custom yeah. components in the code
1: as, as, to a certain extent to improve security. Yeah, there's just nothing that from a multi-tenant perspective, like you, you know, having multiple components on a screen, the whole... What's it called? The light locker service? The, lo- yeah. the lock box? <laughs> That's, that's, a, that's a challenge that I don't want to say is unique to Salesforce. I'm sure there's probably other like, proprietary platforms out there that have components from multiple vendors on the screen at once, yeah. and that they have to have something, some solution to that. But the general web framework community out there, they don't solve this problem. They don't. Yeah. It's not a problem, so they don't solve it. Yeah, I've also kind of wondered about the
0: performance of it. and. I, I don't have any first-hand experience to say whether or not it's true or not, so I have to go with what Chuck was saying. But essentially, just the idea that you're implicit about what you're broadcasting out from a binding perspective, you have to physically say, I'm changing this, and anything listening to it can can then update. It's not like an automatic, you, you modify some attribute, and everything that anything and everything that's referencing that will get automatically updated just by default. And you can kind of control what what does that so that yeah. means that the kind of the event system is a little less chatty mm-hmm. so it's a lot more performant um, which I prefer I, mean, I really I, liked it also I really liked it I never did like how the markup for for Aura Required me to put my import statements. Required me to put my handlers. Required me to put my attributes in the actual markup. I like that in
1: XML. In XML, which is even worse. It just
0: made my markup and my template just huge and ugly and crazy. I also like the some of the the opinionated concepts. Like there's no expressions in Lightning Web Components. Like you can't like today you can do expressions or no statements. There's no expression, so you can't combine. You can't do a composite expression. You can't do. Really. Great oh, really letter.
1: Yes. <laughs> Who are these jackasses? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know them. <laughs> you know them, I do. Uh, you you know most of them, don't you? You know Corey did say he was going to heckle us. Corey, but. Steve, Lacey, I know you know them. Probably know some of the others too. Yeah. Either way, I do,
0: there, there is a certain opinion being made about like expressions
1: and bindings and all that kind of stuff where
0: before you could, if you wanted to show name on the screen and you only had the first name, last name, you could create that composite in, a, in a, an expression on your markup, in your template. Which you can't do anymore. So how do you how do you do that? Do you so you would essentially kind of have property? a new property. Okay. Um, the recommendation is now you can have properties in your JavaScript class file that supports your UI, but you can also have getters. And so the getters is what you would use
1: to kind of create that composite. So I wonder why that is. For example, like in View, you can in the in the template mm-hmm. you can have like JavaScript expressions. So oh God, now they're limited. You can't have like statements or you can, but you can you can. Uh, Concatenate things. You can do, do arithmetic, like basic. Yeah, it's, it's a certain subset of it. It's most of them, but like of JavaScript expressions, you could do without having to create some kind of like property or computed property. Or yeah,
0: something I like the that. so
1: you can even my, call a method actually, and yeah. whatever
0: the method returns. Yeah, my my understanding is the intention is that, or at least the Salesforce intent, based on what was explained, is that by moving that stuff to the and enforcing it to be within your javascript it means that your your javascript files and everything else is more testable it's it moves the log, a lot of the logic back to to a separate layer and lets the ui just do nothing but ui concepts so and and i've seen it and i see it in this code base that i'm in right now where there's just these nested expressions that are just huge and they don't add to readability they and, don't add and and, and to I, the in, prac- in,
1: in practice are people going to really have tests for all of those expressions i mean you could i guess i mean and if they're really important you should but yeah. i don't
0: know but to some degree those people probably will never move past aura unless salesforce completely removes support for it which i doubt they ever will it'll be a long time just like they
1: they won't remove support for visual force although they are starting to get passive aggressive about getting you off classic yeah, <laughs> I'm fine being off classic. Lightning has gotten to a point where it's usable. No, you're not, because you still have to go back to classic for things. Okay, explain to me this. So I was working. i prefer not to. So I'm, I'm working on this um, this is, uh, open source project, and it has, and it does some Salesforce stuff, and it's got um, some integration tests where it actually connects to Salesforce. You have to set up an org and. Whatever. And then it um, is part of like the first thing it does as a part of the test setup is it it deploys like some custom fields that it needs and also deploys a a custom system admin profile Mm -hmm. because number one, it needs some admin permissions, Mm -hmm. but also it needs, if you just deploy a custom field via metadata and you don't give, you don't deploy any profiles that have access to that, then nothing will have access to those custom fields. So, it basically just takes, um, what they did was they took, I can tell, they, they took, they pulled down the admin profile, and they added this one permission to it that they needed. <clears throat> and then they added some of the custom field permissions. And that's what it is. And if you create, let me just I right. I created two orgs. One, I created a scratch org. Mm-hmm. And then I created a dev org. Okay, The profile deploys just fine to the scratch org does not deploy at all to the dev org and and what happened what I was getting was like like, oh this certain permission doesn't exist like for example like customized dashboard folders or something like that and there's some feature called enhanced folder sharing for reports and dashboards Mm. and on for some reason when you spin up a dev org that feature is not enabled. So therefore, the permission doesn't exist. So if you go and enable the feature, then the permission immediately exists. And then I get to deploy again and get to the next permission that doesn't exist. And then I figure out which feature that's for. Then is to it because to... they're features that you technically have to request? No, they're not. But what for a lot of them, what you do have to do is you have to go back into Classic because you can't enable the permissions uh, in Lightning. Yeah. E- even though most of or a lot of setup is still actually... Classic looking under the hood, you know, or, yeah. or on the screen. You really. get that iframe. You still have to actually go into Classic, then into setup, and then you can turn on, like for example, this enhanced folder sharing for reports and dashboards. Yeah. And what the weird thing is, in the docs, it says that after 2013, every org comes with that enabled already, that feature enabled. Which is probably why you don't—they don't show it to you in Lightning Setup. But for some reason, on this dev org I created, I just created it out of our environment hub, that feature is not enabled. So I've to go into. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, this is from your recent haul, huh? This is from your recent haul, right? Yeah, this is yeah. the next weekend. Cool. Where are they? Uh, Glenwood Springs. Glenwood Springs, yeah. Uh, I want to go South up there South sometimes. we were <laughs> in um, Beaver Creek area by Bale. It's another hour drive. Yeah, yeah. West, but oh, it's worth it. It's yeah, fun. I need to get up there sometime. We're talking about... Uh, I, I are <laughs> oh, <no, probably. laughs> talking about... No problem. Casey Blending and Brewing in oh, nice. Glenwood Springs, Colorado. I was about an hour and a half from there when we went up to Frisco, Colorado, a few weeks ago. But when so you went from Frisco to Frisco? I did actually, Frisco, <laughs> Texas to Frisco, Colorado. It's funny because in Frisco, Colorado is itty bitty compared to Frisco. I mean, it's like three thousand people, and Frisco, Texas is like you know two hundred thousand people. Oh, well, it used to be equivalent. Oh, a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but it's funny because I we went to this one brewery in Frisco. Was it um, outer, outer Range? Mm-hmm. And I got 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 to sit down at the bar and tell the bartenders that yeah, I'm from Frisco, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, it's, you know sometimes they like you know, sometimes people you know come in and do Make that. that joke or they. <laughs> I, I think that she said the problem they have is that when you tell someone when you talk about Frisco, and especially if they're not if you're not in Frisco or from around there, like they assume you're talking about Texas because most people have. I think more people have heard of Frisco, Texas, probably just because of its size than Frisco, Colorado. All that and all the cowboy stuff.
0: If they're probably yeah, the
1: FNL. that's right. FNL, <laughs> the NFL. FNL. Anyway, so this Sports is uh, yeah, KC Blending and Brewing. They're uh, it's well, they, so so far they're really young, two or three years, I think, maybe five years. I don't know. But they've pretty much done all sours, all 100 um, like mixed culture, you know, whatever barrel barrel aged mixed culture sours. But they're building a. It may be open now, like a, ta- a tap room in, like, separate from their brewery that's in in Glenwood Springs somewhere, and they're going to have all their sours on, but also they're starting, they've are starting they started to make hazy IPAs, like, these fancy big stouts, and then mm. lagers, too. So, if you're in Glenwood Springs, check, uh, try to find the Casey's um, tap room. It's going to be a good mix of really good beers. we got to anyway. start doing uh, Good Days for Summits in some of these places, and beer. Yeah. Sure. That would be cool. We need to do something. Oh, hey, we have that. Um, did anyone get back to us on meeting up at the Dallas World Tour? Um, I don't think oh, so. I haven't heard anything. So, um, Molasses if, anyone, if anyone's going to the Dallas World Tour and they want to try to meet up at some point, um, put something in Conversations, the Conversations channel on our Slack. That works yeah and if you're not in our slack you need to join the slack right i mean so are you going to that do you know yet i th- i'm pretty sure i am and there's also the there's also an mvp meetup at some point i don't know when that is
0: I'm not sure if i that. That.
1: I should why is that I don't know. free beer oh is, is it okay free alcohol I'm, usually I'm, I'll, I'll show up for that uh, i was gonna say back to the portal site thing one thing i really like about these learning systems and because i um i also do linux academy Mm-hmm. But I think they've all got this now. But I've talked about before how it's hard for me to learn. What's is it? Aud- auditorily, audibly, orally. I don't know what the word is. You learn by doing. I, learning by listening, like a. Are you just visual? A, I'm more visual than I am auditory, and I'm probably more tactile than I am anything. Tactile is a good word. Yeah. But one thing that makes these online platforms better nowadays is almost all of them support. Um, faster playback speeds. Mm. And the problem is at 1x, at normal human speech, yeah, I start to lose focus because it's not coming to me fast enough. Is your millennial ADD? I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I'm not millennial, but I am mean, probably ADD of some sort. But yeah, you can speed it up and uh, it just, I don't know, It's—I can if I go to like 1.25 or something like that, it's just fast enough that I don't lose attention as fast. I didn't think to check if this allowed that because that probably would have I probably would have liked that a little bit better. That's the first thing. To I would never subscribe. I think Plural does support it too. I've I've done it on Plural before. beforehand.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. Well, do we want to get to some community topics? since we want to try to keep this short? Yep. Let's do it. Well, let's let's do um let's do quick quick news first, and then we'll do the community topics. Um, so number one, Dreamforce registration opened yesterday or two days ago. Uh, yeah. Monday. I'm Monday? definitely not going. You're definitely not going. Definitely not. Just don't want to. It doesn't make sense. So many people, and the fact that
0: getting a hotel is already difficult at this point... So, well, it's impossible now, you know, you it's, hit, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just crazy. Yeah. People are, I mean... I, I'm sorry, I'm just not... So, sure, if you're a customer, definitely go. You'll have a good time and everything. But then you've got people in the community that are just all about the raw raw, all about the parties, all about that. It's not a... It's, it's more of a vacation for them than it is a conference oh, sure. to learn right. and enjoy. And exactly. I'm just like,
1: oh, I, it's, no, it, it's, a, it's a revival, John. Yeah. It's, that's, it's where they got to renew their spirits and get, get pumped up and excited. Yeah. I wish I had my soundboard. I'm just not here. about that crowd. I, I want to go, if I'm going to go and, and sacrifice some, but, some time. Okay, with so if my you're not family. about that crowd, you can do sessions then, John.
0: No, no, I can't. There's, there's too many people. I won't be able to eat. I won't yeah. be able to sleep. I just I won't be able to move. I won't be able to walk. I won't be able to find a place to relax and decompress. Yeah. I mean, I need I need one of those rooms where, where I can go and just
1: do some se- sensory deprivation is what yeah. I need at, at those type of events. I just this, I this, can't handle this is like a perennial topic, and I think a perennial frustration for people. I mean, even a lot of the you know the diehard Salesforce fans um, complain about this. It's you know the fact that you know first of all. Even if you do jump on registration as soon as it opens, um, the hotels are very. Which expensive. is what two K. So that's another thing. So registration is uh, not two thousand, two thousand dollars. I
0: don't no. think there's any kind of early bird discounts or anything anymore. I think it is just a standard price,
1: right? I think so. Well, I didn't see yeah. a discount. Well, and I think I think what's happened is Salesforce has. I mean, we've hit peak. We've hit peak yeah, Dreamforce. Yeah, there's no reason for them to do this. Yeah, case. right. Yeah. Any discounts that are going to be available are for in fact companies that they want to attract if I'm going to be true to my libertarian leanings I wish they would keep raising the price I mean maybe they should make it 4000 because right because right now I mean what is it I mean we don't know how many people show up they don't announce that but they do talk about how many people register and it's always like north of 150000 right yeah and so right. how do you, so how do you convince a good percentage of those 150000 just to not come make a $4,000 registration fee uh, I mean I probably wouldn't come. I mean unless I something was somebody was paying my yeah. for my ticket. But that's the point. A lot of people won't come. I don't know. That, and this is, you know, the, know, Dreamforce is a victim of its own success. People still go right? to
0: Disney World and that's double digits and yeah,
1: yeah but they can handle it better. I mean it's it's hard to compare I'm just to saying. that. It, it, for some people, Dreamforce is their Disney World. Is their Disneyland? I know. I agree. And they're willing it's to a, spend that money on it. But it's a, it's, a, it's a supply and demand problem. I mean, I guess that's why hotel prices go up so much, and why you within even at five six hundred dollars an night for a decent hotel, it sells out within twelve to twenty four hours. Right? Yeah. Um, I mean, just thinking. I don't know. What do they do? Should they raise the price so that there's not as many people that show up? I mean, I don't know. Because that's my that's my Probably biggest downside of Dreamforce yeah. is that is the number of people that are there. Like you said, you can hardly walk on the streets. You can, you can't get into a restaurant. You can't get into a bar. Yep. Um, can you
0: just find a decent you, lunch? I mean, you can. You, can you, get, you
1: can't get to your sessions. It's you know because they're it's so spread out over that. that I mean, of our couple of neighborhoods of. I mean, San Francisco. You pretty much have to map it out and pay attention to elevation because if you think you're going to
0: walk from one place to another, you better make sure you can handle the elevation. i I've, I've made the mistake of thinking I could make it from one spot to another oh. in pretty short time seeing the distance. Right. Not not taking into account that there's a 45 degree angle in San Francisco that I gotta walk up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep. And don't stand and don't get behind a car that's standing at a that's sitting at a stop sign. Yeah. I'm not saying when I say
0: 45 degree angle. No, there might even more.
1: Uh, I mean I don't think so. There was a
0: point <laughs> one time we were trying to find the place and I mean you were leaning pretty forward. Yeah. Just to to make your way up. It yep. was pretty extreme.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I still may not go because, I mean, I can, I think you can cancel your registration up, including hotel. Up so you do have a hotel in registration. Yeah, I did get a hotel. So I got, I got well, the, I think you should, maybe you should go. I got the 55 park. That's where I stayed for Trailhead and it was fine. It's, we got
0: members of the community there. They'd, they'd love to see you could do another remote episode.
1: It's not quite as close as where you and I usually stay. Like, cause I've always stayed at the Intercontinental or the Marquee. Marriott? Is that the Marriott Marquise? Is that I, I don't remember. Yeah. So those are both like right in the middle of everything. Yeah. Um, so this this is the 55 Park or Park 55, whatever. Uh, um, and it's it's a couple blocks away, so it's not bad. And the I mean the price is still ridiculous. It was almost 500 a night. Yeah. And then within because my wife tried to register a couple hours later, and it, okay. by that time it was near the airport, which is 13 miles and probably 45 minutes away. And you're like, yes. <laughs> no, just solo <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't think she, well, she she and I both can't go Anyway, so It'd have to be one or the other yeah but Yeah, you can cancel it up until five days before dream Force. so I just got in there and booked just in case I need to go for employment with my employer wants me to go I might also have clients that are that I need have to co-present stuff with so just went ahead and reserved it But anyway, so yeah, Dreamforce is open, so register. I mean, at this point, the hotels are gone. Um, You might be able to go out on your own and find hotels, probably further away, and if you're willing to stay in Ratty Hotels, um, or up near the airport, or if you're willing to stay in, um, what's across the bay, Oakland? Uh, Yeah, I guess you could. Um, But then you're looking at you know taking the bar every day. I just don't want to mess with that. I mean, people did it. I mean, people do it. No, a lot of people do it. I just would rather not. It's at that point. It's just okay. Is this worth it? All right. Well, while we're on topics that we
0: want to cover quickly, I just got to give a shout out to the limited Cloud Log Analyzer. That thing is so awesome. I, saw, I watched that video that someone posted. Um, oh, it I've looks awesome. but I, it. I haven't I've used I've really started using it. Yeah. It's so incredible. Especially from my perspective because I'm dealing with a code base that I don't fully understand or understand where everything is mapping to. And logging has been a big issue for me um, just to understand the thing. And I've been wanting to even write my own kind of log analyzer that would kind of do what it does today, you know, organize things and, and sh- show a tree view so that I can see when things go into a method, when things come out of it, kind of look at the things I care about, filter out the things I don't care about, and this does it all, so not only did it save me from having to build my own, but it's pretty awesome. Yeah,
1: to use I, I've so many times thought, damn it, I'm going to build a, yeah. like a, a log analyzer that, that basically analyze, lets you analyze from a hierarchical perspective. Mm-hmm. Because when it says, you know, method started or code entries or whatever yeah. those things, it's like, I can't, or, or something in, DML, in, well, which DML? I, I, I need to see, you know, it's because these things nest because trigger hell. Uh, so they, these DML things nest like crazy. And... When something says DML in it, I'm like, I have no idea which one that is. Yeah. Yeah, and especially if there's, man, if there's, I haven't used it yet, but if there's keyboard shortcuts that let you, like, say you're on a DML in, you're like, okay, I want to see what DML starts this from. Is there there's some keyboard that, like, pop? You can, like, because IntelliJ has these. Like, if you're on a, on a closing bracket or a closing, like, XML or HTML tag or something, there's a key command to go to its corresponding opening or closing tag. Oh. Yeah. That's cool. And I so it, learn that one. Yeah, so if the log analyzer does something similar to that or makes it just easy for you to, because sometimes you'll be, you'll have scrolled mini. many, Many pages past its oh, yeah. the mating tag or whatever. I kind millimeter. of defaulted to collapsing the entire
0: thing and just op- expanding it as I go, just because it's it's easier. But yeah, well given, given the the method hell that I'm dealing with,
1: <laughs> you are dealing with some. Hell. I can't
0: even complain about process builder and flows. It's just all code and yeah. it's
1: all a nightmare. And this is you know and not not to pick on. Yeah, I'm just speaking generically now, but I mean. It's 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 these projects that are just piles and piles and piles of crap code that make that give custom code a bad name. And which is why people are like, oh no, we only do process builder because we don't have to deal with messy code. Well, I mean, okay, if that's if your choice is between crap code and process builder, okay, sure do process builder. You're probably gonna create crap process builders, but whatever. I but that's crap code, at least that you have, you have a chance of fixing well, it. I guess. But you see my point though. Yeah. Uh, but you know. But if your choice is between like process builder and like well-structured, well-written code that's, you know, readable and maintainable and testable and everything, then, well, I think we all know my preference. (laughs) (laughs) I have opinions on these matters. So it was kind of like, uh,
0: I mean, I would have thought that release would have been in like the next version as a carrot to make you sign up for a whole new year of of IC. (laughs) But it's just in, in a standard release, um, so I really appreciate it, because it's, it's really helping me out. It's, it's had immediate benefits to me, and uh, I look forward to using it even more, so. Yeah. All right, let's get to some community topics then. Uh, let's see. Do you want to talk about naming conventions, or you want to talk about uh, design first?
1: Naming conventions or design? Oh, well, we have I, I have um, two more quick news things. Oh, let's go for it. Um, So, I think this guy, Mike Rosenbaum, he was was EVP of, I think, product at Salesforce, which is, I think, probably like a, yeah, it's, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. You
0: know, it's funny. I saw that article and I was like, I know that name. Why do I know that name? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To look
1: it up. But it's not the actor. (laughs) No. You know, I've had just... I, I had like a ten minute conversation with him at like at a one of these things in a, in a someone rents out a bar or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I've had didn't really have any interaction with him. But um, a lot of people were you know sad to see he's gone, so he must have uh, must have, must have, must be a loss for us. But he went to some other company to be like a I think CEO or president, so he's you know taking a position up. I mean, if he's already EVP at Salesforce, uh, he's been in that position for a while, I think. He's probably oh, still got quite a bit. Kind of hit his. Um, yeah. You know, if he wa- obviously if he wants to run a company, that he's going to have to move on. So I'm sure that's what it was. But so for anyone who, who worked with Mike and liked, yeah, you know, liked him by the role he was in. And, he has moved on, and I don't know who's replacing him. I don't know if they announced anything. I did notice, though, just because I, I saw a news thing today. It's, it's crazy how much the news things know the topics I like to read, but he, already, he I, yesterday we had the news that he quit, and today he was taking or he posted something on Twitter. I guess I follow him on Twitter, maybe. That's interesting. Um, of his badge at his new job. I was like, wow, you just, I mean, zero. You didn't take a single day off. <laughs> i didn't either i mean most people i kind of wanted to, especially at the executive level don't you kind of when you when you leave a a job to go to a new job you should take some time off right like a week or two
0: you know i think it kind of depends i mean i think for me because i didn't take any time off although i kind of wanted to but there was there was a bit of a sense of urgency for me to kind of start as soon as i could right and there's a per- certain part of me that was kind of excited about the opportunity. That was like, I kind of want to start
1: a. Yeah, as I can. exactly. You didn't need that break, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: I mean, it was such a shift in between what my daily duties were to what it would be that it was like, this is going to be better. I want. I really want to tackle this problem. Let's get started. Yeah. You know, because I know I'm going to need ramp up time. I know before I get to the fun stuff, I have to learn all this
1: crap, to figure it out. That's pull a, on some threads yeah. and start figuring out what it is I can pick off. That's a good sign, though, when you're so excited to start a new job that you literally don't want to take any time off. You are like, you want to this yeah. your own excitement. And it's got you wanting to get started. Anyway, uh, and the other thing was that uh, the Apple started making the new Apple credit card available to people yesterday on a limited basis. They haven't, they haven't shown it to me yet. I'm excited. Are I don't you? know why. I don't know why. I'm not really interested in it. I've gotten way more into Apple Pay. Like, I'm... I don't. First of I just I never like even tried to pay with my watch. Probably because I had that Series Zero for the longest time, and it's like I'm not going to wait for <laughs> yeah. this thing to come up. Um, but now it's it's great. I'd pay with it all the time. And, I never uh, do. You don't? I don't. Yeah, I've got them all. You just double click the the button thing, and then I can pick between my cards. It's I guess nice.
0: I, I just don't really. You go to more places than I do. I'm kind of a bit of a hermit. I don't really go <laughs> You're a more. homebody. A homebody, yeah. So I don't really go to many places, and the places I do go to don't
1: have Apple Pay. You, so you I don't are really... a serious homebody, that's for sure. Well, that's get why get I remodded my house so I can stay in it even more. <laughs> you should just set up NFC readers around your house so at least you can just like, that's I practice. <laughs> that's how I perfected roasting peppers, was by staying at home. <laughs> we got to talk about this. I mean, I've four times now, I think. I don't understand what so you're doing time, So the last time, I don't easy. either. So maybe, are I'm, you not letting them rest afterwards? Are you not charring them enough? I don't know. I mean, it could be all that. So what I do is I just leave it on the grill until... Now, I don't know. Should it be like kind of a low heat or super high heat? No, it's it super hot. Super hot. And then it doesn't... So it probably doesn't take all that long for it to get super charred?
0: No. I mean, I, I, I will walk away from it and just come back. It doesn't matter how black it gets. Those things are so full of moisture, you're not going to impact it. See, I think I actually one time dried it out too much. Thing. Really?
1: Yeah. That's pretty hard to do. But this last time, it those I things did, are filled with moisture. Yeah. But last time, they didn't get all dried out. But uh, and it was completely charred. But and I when I set it on a plate, wrapped it with saran wrap over the top, and just set it in the. In I didn't the, even wrap it. And like, oh, you don't? No, I just that don't like sit there. I've tried that too, but I've, I've tried the wrapping thing. You see that device everywhere because it yeah. just the steam all just stays in there yeah. and. But then when I go to separate the char, it's like it just—it's actually just the, the flesh just all rips apart. It just like it destroys the pepper.
0: You might be doing it too long, then if it's ripping the flesh off. How are you peeling it though? By hand or what? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, see, I just get a knife, hold it perpendicular to it, and just scrape it. The sharp edge of the knife. Yeah. Okay. Don't don't cut into the meat. Just, just backwards. You're scraping backwards. No, the blade's down, and I just kind of scrape it, huh. just like you would shave.
1: Okay. Keep straight, I think it's supposed to straight. pull off. I've seen that on cooking shows. It just the, just pulls off. Maybe I mean, it usually
0: does. I mean, if you, it depends on how you do it. But I've I've had cases where maybe one side didn't get as charred or something, and it's still kind of sticking. But I kind of leave it there and I just kind of scrape off what okay. I want.
1: There's some people that eat the char. I don't know why. I'm no, thinking. you don't want to eat that. I don't to eat. Yeah. That. There's a reason God made it so that the char just comes off. Yeah. I just haven't. I got. I got to. You know. I need to say some more prayers to. Get inspired on how no, this is supposed favorite. to work. It's my favorite
0: thing. Steak yeah. and peppers. Steak keep and trying. Poblano, I buy poblano
1: Every time I go to the store, when I were about to do steaks, I buy a poblano pepper, and I destroy it.
0: Yeah. You peel them, you cut them, you
1: load it, some salt on it, cut into a steak, grab a pepper, stick it on there. That's the best bite. But anyway, so back to the Apple credit card. So it's really cool, because anytime you use Apple Pay, you get 2% back, which is nice. Uh, so if
0: I have... Points on my credit card. Oh no, that is the credit card. It is the credit card. So now I got to figure out if the points on that are better than my points on my credit card. Right.
1: It's it's hard to beat two percent back. Um, and then in on any if any Apple store or Apple stuff, it's three percent back. And then everything else, it's one percent. So anytime you use a card, if it doesn't meet those other requirements, then it's. Minimum you get back is 1%. But so
0: why using your watch when the it's got a fancy little holographic
1: card-looking thing? The card doesn't even have numbers on it. That's the other cool thing about it. it first of all, just have you seen the photos? It looks cool. It's, it's titanium, and it's like laser-etched. So my, my no bank numbers. my did that. It didn't
0: have any numbers on it. And then the next release, which is the most recent one, does have the numbers back. And I think that's because there's still a lot of places that still have to do the carbon copy. Yeah,
1: the physical thing.
0: So, yeah. It might limit you in some aspects,
1: but and that's I really like the thing where and it, this is not new, but I, I don't know, if anyone was doing it still. Um, but every every purchase you make, it you get a it's considered a, like a secure there's like a secure element or something, and it generates, mm-hmm. especially for like online purchases, I guess it generates a a you get a unique, card number, and you only that card number is only used once. So when you go to your you know your whatever shady website, won't we'll name any shady websites, but. You know which ones you go to. (laughs) And you enter your credit card. I do. It's a one it's a one time use. So if someone's you know, if that website's database gets compromised and they still have the credit card numbers, they can't. That's pretty cool. The other cool thing is if your number like I guess the card does have a it does have like a, a number for it that's that stays. But the only way you can see it is through your wallet app. Okay. If that number gets compromised, then all you have to do is you click a button that says it's compromised and they immediately it gets a new number. And your cards works again. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I hope. I hope. I hope That's awesome this because does this
0: up the industry enough that all companies start doing stuff like that. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, isn't that what the chip is supposed to do as well?
1: But it's still tagged to that one unique ID, right? See, I don't understand this because Europe they do chip and pin, which makes sense to me. We do chip and signature, which does not make sense to me. What? How? What security is this adding? The signature doesn't matter. Anymore. No, but I mean. But it's, it's chip and signature. So if someone steals my, if someone actually gets my physical credit card, they have the chip, and they don't have to have a pin. All they do is stick stick the card in the chip reader and sign anything for the. It doesn't verify a signature. No, no, you can you can sign. So what Donald good? Duck is, on so so explain matter. to me chip and
0: signature, how that's a security improvement. It, it don't signature only matters when you dispute it. So you can try to dispute it and say that's not my signature or that was forged. But but the, the so so what you're that, saying is
1: chip and pin, chip and signature does nothing over existing magnetic stripe technology. Now,
0: No, all it does is is it absolves the company that took the card from risk because they did the precaution of getting the card and a signature, and then you have to dispute the signature and then your bank is is liable or responsible for for the coverage of that. But the the place itself says, well, we did everything we could. We got the card and we got a signature from the person. We're not at risk or liable for this fraudulent charge, which is why you can sign anything you want. And I mean, you could sign. You could sign every one of your credit cards as Donald Duck with a certain signature or flair, whatever you want, as long as you can identify. It. It's just like it's like those security questions that you get asked. Like, what's your what place were you born? I always pick something random, or I pick a consistent
1: random thing that has nothing to do with my real At life. At one point, you chose a random place, and you're, you've been consistent about it since. <laughs> yes,
0: but if someone's social engineering it says oh, you were born in this town. That means when I get your security code, I can type that in and I'll get into your account. No, because I pick something different every time. It could be a, the name of my dog or whatever. It's not.
1: <laughs> yeah, you just let it slip, then. You just ruined it. No, it's not. <laughs> we can edit that out.
0: <laughs> but So I tried to tell my wife that, and she's like, No. They need to know this for reality. And I'm like, no, it's no, not. You yeah. can put in any dumb word you want. You can put numbers it, if you it's, want. You it's, could put,
1: it's a key value, you could right? You can put supercalifragilisticexpialidocious
0: right. if you want. Yep. It doesn't matter.
1: Yep, exactly. As long as you know the answer to that question. Those, that's like, what matters. When you have to provide those, like, those three questions and answers, it's literally just like a, 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 a three-entry three key value set. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: All, all, you, as long as you know the answer to that yes, question, right. that's all that matters. They present you the key, and you have to give them the
0: value. Yeah. Tangents. All right, let's pop the stack. Let's do it. Let's do our questions. Uh, Let's do design. That might be a lesser topic. So let's do design. Let's try that one. Um, So this one comes from Jason Milborn from the community. Really, thank you. Uh, He gave us quite a bit of backstory. I do have to mention that um, he gave us our topic last week on um, kind of branching strategies and things like that. But he went on maternity leave, or paternity leave, sorry, (laughs) Uh, which is great that his company offered that.
1: Uh, I didn't get that. Did he In fact, say the company tra- offered it?
0: Yeah. I had to travel like a week after my daughter was yeah. born. Do you remember that? you take so, taking time off. I did take time off. And then okay. certain someone we know called me back and said, we need you at Plantronics oh. the next week after. And I went. That's, yeah. your, that's, your, that's your decision. Hey, we were trying to make it or break it at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I'm always trying to I'm always trying to, make, always it. Trying to make it or break it. Um, but anyway, Story of my life. Uh, interesting enough, um, his child was born on May the 4th, so he has a little Jedi. A young Jedi or a young Sith. Well, depends. Congratulations depends on, your on, the, uh, on, on the
1: My kids lean towards offspring. Sith
0: for some reason. They like to be the villains. Oh, yeah. yeah? Bad guys are fun. Hmm? Bad guys are fun. Yeah. They're more interesting. Yeah. Um, so his question is, he originally had questions about branching strategy and development and managing the, the dev cycle and the release cycle and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when he came back, uh, the person he had trained to kind of handle his role while he was gone is pretty much killing it at that and he's gotten kind of moved up and promoted to more of a high level design position. Um, so now his question is, um, how do you approach design when you know you're not going to be the one actually building the solution? is the question. Repeat, repeat uh, he says, question that, uh, "He says uh, high-level design is a new concept for me. I just finished a software engineering course that scratched the surface of design patterns and process through school. Prior to this, I did very little formal design for anything I built. I just kind of started writing and made it work. Um... So now he's kind of tasked with how do you design for other developers. So what are we designing? Because I was actually responding to a text, sorry. <laughs> Software? Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Solutions on the Salesforce platform. So oh. basically designing, designing specs for a developer to build on. Essentially tech architecture. Arch, <laughs> technical
1: architecture role. This actually go, kind of goes into what a topic I had for a couple of weeks ago that I, it, I had a bee in my bonnet about this. It's kind of settled down since then. And now... Oh, that was nice. Wow. He yeah. missed it. Total whiff. Um, that's because he's been drinking too much. <laughs> I know because I went to lunch with him, and he had about three cocktails. There. <laughs> and then he's been here since then, so. <laughs> yes, <you> hear that? <laughs> no, it's the um, – in the in – the, I, I feel like this is somewhat – I think these are Salesforce – uh environment like terms but solution architect and technical architect which and I don't agree with I, I don't think I do either and it also kind of reminds me of this like requirements not not I'm not saying this is an analogy it's really not a separate thing uh, requirements versus design mm-hmm. and so I don't know what we're talking about here in terms of this question it's salesforce so it's probably the
0: wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> Salesforce has created this environment where solution architecture and traditional software development, solution architecture and techno architecture exist. They might not be the norm today, but they have existed in the past and they had their own distinct functions. In the Salesforce world, what it means is if you're a solution architect, you do point-and-click config. If you're a techno architect, you do custom dev. And then it got even blurred, it got blurred even further with flow and process builder because that technically is point and, point and click config and that fell under the solution architecture role. And anything just development, lightning development, web development, all that kind of stuff fell under the technical architecture role.
1: And none, none, none of this is good. This is not a good way to. It's, it's not good. Division no. of labor. It's I not. don't like but it.
0: But what it did is it created silos in the environment, in, in the ecosystem, in the community. Yep. Mm-hmm. And now as a techno architect, most non-certified techno-architects only know and touch code You know for integrations. A, for a, and any solution architect only knows and touches point-and-click config. And CTAs are a different beast. Those, you do kind of have to know both and they're a rare beast and they're very expensive people. Don't, I, I, I don't even say that. From what I understand, that certification process is pretty
1: strict. Oh, pretty I'm not saying, that, I'm not saying they're not rare. I'm just saying club. I, I I've just seen too many too many to, anecdotes around people that do get in people that don't get in for me to say just because someone has that no I mean, I mean it that's just with anything uh, yeah uh, and, and also I mean but what but, I'm saying but there's the path other to and I do CTA sort of to become a CTA uh, do you mean include, do you mean hashtag path to CTA John I do okay yeah. the the hashtag path to CTA does oh, require, oh, sorry is a journey what is it? no it's journey to CTA probably journey. Uh, I don't know Hike? See, this is the summit. I'm not a good Salesforce uh, pawn here. Lost your card? No, but, but there's, anyways, but there's the, the there's the, the, the other architect that things that that are that that filter into. Uh, well, there are the because you basically uh, have there's to like system. Both ar- paths. They have, don't they have one called you system have, like,
0: architect? You have, the, you have the I forgot what they're called, but they basically you have you have a path for strictly development and technical stuff, integration, security, all that kind of stuff. Then you have a path for like the more admin, config, declarative stuff. And then both of those combined is what allows you to kind of advance up to the CTA
1: yeah. through a board certification. That's, so w- that's weird because and those previously, in the past, Salesforce required people who were going to be certified developers to also know all of the admin stuff, which although kind of irritated me at the time, I, I, I always understood the wisdom in that, and I still agree with that, which is yeah. why... I kind of don't agree with that path they have now, which is, oh, you're a developer. Well, that's separate from all this. Ad. I'm like, no, I think you need to know that stuff too. Yeah, I think, I think a developer is really the more umbrella thing here. Like, they, I mean, if you have a developer that may know like Apex really well or something, mm-hmm. and maybe web components or whatever, I mean, if they don't understand all the how profiles and security and like and even workflow and how these things work, they're going to not be great.
0: Yeah, but I think you're confusing the learning path with the economics of it I guess. They need educated, cheap administrators that are prevalent so that the cost of owners owning Salesforce is easy. And they need to also have very competent technical people who can do some very custom things so they can cover those advanced situations, those enterprise cases. Yeah. So they're, they're, the paths, I think, align with the economics of the situation. You need admins who can just point and click their way to solutions and thus make sure that the cost of ownership of Salesforce is still relatively cheap. But you also need a side of the coin that has some very technical, experienced people who can take it beyond that that one step.
1: It is interesting to see Salesforce continue to try to engineer and evolve this ontology of um, of, of skills and labels and certifications that go along with those labels. It's so weird also for a company like Salesforce who like their ethos is like, you know, they would be all, all, all about the like no labels and like, you know, you don't have, you know, you know what I mean? Salesforce is all about, but. I think so, but, but they've been successful. But it's all about labels. It, it is. It's like, oh, what's your label? Oh, I'm a platform dev too, or what? You know, it's like I'm blah 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 blah. It's like trail, you know, what, pe- ranger. What's your ranger? what's your you certi- what's your certification count? You know, exactly how many uh, you know, whatever, whatever the trailhead terminology. It's like, wow, we are really labeling people big time. I'm the lowest common denominator that brings people down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was like a number of years ago. A number of years ago, before before Salesforce. Academy or university, or whatever they're calling it these days, um, came about. But I had the least amount of certifications. I had the, just the basic Dev certification. it was on a panel, and they they asked people to downplay their certification count because I had
1: one <laughs> on the slide. <laughs> and that goes to show you they were they actually were concerned that people that they know that people have been trained to care about certification count. Yeah, which is I mean, just, there like...
0: People just like the whole bottom footer of their. You
1: know, profile was just
0: filled. Oh yeah, and people do it with their emails too. I'm like, I don't need to see all that in your email. (laughs) Sorry.
1: I know it's like you just attached 82 gifts to my the email you sent me. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyways, pop in the stack
0: and back to the question. I mean, uh, what is how does the approach to design? How do you how do you
1: do you write what? What so, solid document do you write so this
0: person, do you get into sequence so, diagrams? So, we're writing, we're,
1: writing, we're writing some kind of design, like a solution design for developers to take and build, right? Right. So, I would say, first of all, work with those developers to come up with a high level design, because at some point, especially with Salesforce, because the concrete's set so fast and there's no refactoring. Um, you ha- hang on, let me finish. Okay. You have to, you kind of need to make quite a few architectural decisions up front. Yes. So, I would say, you got to make those. And then within that, do do as little design as you possibly can. You need you need to let developers and whoever the people are that are building this thing out, developers and, and admins and solution architects, right? Whatever they are, you need to give them space to do their freaking job. And if you have listed every Apex class you think they're going to need or every web component that you, you, first of all, you're wrong. You got it wrong. You've done a bad design that's not going to work, and you've You've completely devalued everything that they do, and they're not going to be happy. So you're probably going to quit, and your whole project's going to fall apart, and you're going to lose your job, and then you're going to have to <laughs> file bankruptcy. So, so don't do that. <laughs> no, I, I,
0: I, I have a counterpoint to that. I, I, don't necessarily think it has to be that. Ooh, I'm getting
1: closer. I'm louder. <laughs> How about that? You got to step on that mic, John. Right. Don't complain to me if you, if your voice sounds tinny or if uh, your volume is low. Now nah, you'll fix it in
0: post. No, I won't. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I've written documents that were a little bit more specific, I and I actually made that. suggestions on naming conventions and you, what to call a class. You made a living out of, of writing class. those documents. I did. Yeah, I did. Here's what you name your. Here's how to name your test class. And well, here's the thing: the situation depends. You have to know your audience. When you're writing anything, you have to know your audience. And if your audience is very is much less experienced, and you do have to provide that guidance. Provide the guidance. See, I think that's death even, mark. Even, I think you should quit
1: right then and there if that's your situation. If your company I'm has sorry, not
0: everyone has another nope. job lined up and well, they can just go then and
1: work on it. Then, and, then work on it. Them. You know what? You are in the probably the most in-demand space in the world. Get a new freaking job. <laughs> there's
0: there's there's reasons to do what I did. There's there there was reason. In fact, a lot of it was outsourced because you were I, miserable and
1: they that was none of that probably worked very well. Don't tell me that worked well.
0: No, where where it didn't work is when I wasn't specific enough.
1: Where so, it worked well so was not specific enough. Oh God. So,
0: okay, so here's some at least some guidelines, in my opinion. Even if you, whether you go into advanced detail or not, if you can at least outline the functionality that you need, and you can at least outline in great detail what the expected outcome is, then you have a chance. Because whatever the developer comes up with, whether right or wrong, clean code or not clean code, if you get, if you provide enough information on what the inputs are going to be for whatever feature... And what the output is expected, you have a chance. You have a chance to at least validate it. You have a chance to, to have something that's testable. And you have a chance to,
1: to at least... But what you're saying right there is not what you said a minute ago. If you're just saying what kind of the input's going to be and what you expect the output to be, then that's that's the base. That's, you're not that's constraining the, the design. You don't want to. No, uh, I know. This is this is a key term, like over constraining. I don't never constrain design. your design. I never constrain okay. design, but I
0: knew my audience and I knew enough to say, here's my recommendation on the modules that I think need to be implemented. Here's my recommendation on the names that I think you should have. Again, I would put in the document recommendation, suggestion. I wouldn't dictate and I would make that clear. But you know what, you don't have the
1: recommendation. Just like when it
0: happens with estimates, right? When we would do the handoff, I would I would tell them, this is just my suggestion, this is just an outline, you make the decision. I I hear you.
1: And that's a good thing to say, but I, just, I guess it depends on who you're giving it to because the problem is when, you, is when you tell people, hey, I think you should create these things and call them this, already like you've just biased their whole creative thought process. It's, it's hard to think something and, other than that at that I know. point.
0: And that's, that's what, it comes down to knowing my audience. Like, if touches. I was writing something for you, it would probably be a paragraph of a story and let you run with it. But if I'm writing for someone who's more junior, who maybe needs experience, needs guidance, I'll provide them a little more milestones. Yeah, I, g-
1: I would pair them with a senior developer.
0: Well, oh, that's not always the case. I mean, uh, you, I, I it, you have to work with what you have and the resources you have. A lot of times, it's just not it's not there. There's no yeah. senior. You are the senior, but you're responsible for doing a bunch of other
1: things, and you can't sit there and pair program with your junior I, developer. It's just impossible for me not to not to. Pop this back up to general career advice which is work at more enlightened companies if that's your situation companies that get this
0: well i mean for for in this situation it's a new role for this person they're they're this is going to be a new chance to gain some new experience i mean you can't just toss that i mean i've been put in situations where i was not senior and i was not advanced but i had to stretch and i needed i needed a company who's willing well not willing who <laughs> didn't want to spend the money on a senior guy and let me stretch to become the senior guy. I mean, th- those are career advancements to me. Those are opportunities to me. True. That's just a different subject, though. But Yeah, I guess. I mean, I wasn't always in a position where I could be mentored, I guess is what I'm saying. I had to kind of Make it until I make it. Who, who
1: and, and sent us this question?
0: Jason Milburn. I
1: don't think we're helping Jason here. <laughs> well...
0: That's my opinion. I, th- I think as long as you have a well-defined So don't Yeah, okay, go. Ahead. story for, for for what needs to be done in the system. At minimum a well-defined outcome for for what you're expecting from the system. What it needs to do, what it needs to update, whatever it needs to produce. At least if you have the start and the end of the story, the middle can be whatever. Just like any other story, as long as you have a good start and a good end, the middle can be whatever. It can be as crazy and
1: chaotic as you want it to be. But as long as you can count on that start and that end, you have a chance. So I'll play off what you said a minute ago, talking about inputs and outputs. Understand and document your functional functional requirements. So user does this, and the, and the out comes this, Yes. okay? Document those because everyone needs to understand those and your customer, whether it's an internal customer or external customer, needs to agree to those. All right. Um, Work with your whole team that's going to be building this to come up with a high-level design to implement those functional requirements, but don't get too prescriptive. Give them space because the more prescriptive you get, the more wrong you're going to be and the more you're taking away their ability to do their job. Agreed. Don't don't get too ivory architect on them and give them, I mean, them, a you know. feature
0: doesn't exist in isolation. So, I mean, assuming that you can bolt out a document and button it up in just one, you know, one go is, is not possible. There are other factors to consider. The environment it's in, the code base it's in, the framework that it's built around, bad decisions that were made in the past that you have to work around, system limitations, governor limits. I mean, there's a lot of things that have to go into developing something. Aww. But at least understanding the, the input and the output... <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> if that was audible. So yeah. um, now what I, did I uh, so the that. An, look at the Agile Manifesto? It's always good yeah. that so you know also customer collaboration over contract oh, negotiation. Okay. Meaning, yes, you do agree with the customer on what these functional require these functional basically your functional <laughs> tests are going to be. Okay. But when your team gets into building this, they're going to they're going to actually realize that oh, we actually. We either can't. This actually, we need to adjust to some because this won't work. Or I hey, think we found out actually a way better way to do this. In either case, you need to be able to go back to the customer and say, "I know we agreed on these things, but we've actually now that we're halfway through building it, we've learned a lot more about what's possible and how this is going to work, and we want to see if you are willing to ship a couple of these things for yeah. to come up with a better system." So always, you know, there's design. It shouldn't be something that's like. You write it and it's a, it gets gold pressed and it's done. It's not. It's, it should yeah. be something that can be, The team should be able to adjust these things as
0: they go. Yeah. So I'm gonna add one more tip to this and you can tell me if you agree or not. I've learned to stay away from templates. Stay away from templates and say you need to have this section, this heading, this stuff in your document. Focus on what you need to communicate to the developers, the things that you need to communicate. Outline it however you want stay away from a template they they are nothing but a disservice in my opinion
1: yeah custom code is not cookie cutter otherwise it would be a process builder even if it's even no I, I it actually to me it doesn't matter whether it's code or whether it's process builder stay away from templates they get a joke they because already I mean it's already actually over constrained your creativity in in, yeah. in, the, in the whole design space all right.
0: okay all right so let's get to uh, the thanks for to the topic. question
1: Jason that was was good. Yeah. But still, want, at some point, I wanted to have that solution architect versus technical architect. Not that, that you don't really live in that space so much anymore, but you did for for forever. And I just and you understand how this works in the in the Salesforce well, consulting how, space. I understand how partners right classify themselves. and Salesforce. Is it does Salesforce dictate these these things, or is it are these is this a, are these is this partner terminology?
0: I think I think Salesforce Professional Services has a lot of impact. I mean, is
1: on there how. is there like a is there a technical? Arch- oh, there is I like guess CTA right. Well, there is Whatever. CTA. Is, but is CTA, CTA solution does not line up with
0: with it traditionally doesn't. how no. implementation partners treat yeah. solution architects and technical right. architects. Um, so I don't know. That's another conversation. For another yeah, I do know it is. Uh, this one's from anonymous, and this is about naming conventions. Uh, this person says, "Is using a company acronym as a prefix for classes a bad idea?" Uh, The example given, if a company is called Acme, they would like uh, all classes to be prefixed with Acme something. To merit, let's see, to me it really doesn't make sense to do this, but would like to hear your thoughts. Uh, Also, do you prefer prefixing types of classes? Uh, Example given, batches with underscores or without them? Uh, Another example given, bat underscore something, bat something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Which I've I've done. I've experimented with doing that. So do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Uh, Let's tackle the first part of the question, is whether or not you should be uh, using an acronym for your company as a prefix for classes.
1: Is that a good idea or a bad idea? Okay, so let me, I want to make sure I understand this. Is he saying that, or whoever, he or she, that, Mm -hmm. are they like an, an internal developer, and like, just because they work for Acme that every single clash should start with Acme Underscore. so that's from just it's redundant at that point. It's it's a waste of space.
0: So I I've seen I've seen some implementation partners prefix everything they build. So they would
1: I like, see that too, say, and I hate it. I hate it. It's I dumb. I absolutely hate it. Because the implementation partner doesn't own the code. The person the company they created it for it owns the code. And I it's some and as soon as they're done with it, I don't actually care who created it. Yeah. So I don't want to see I've also Accenture seen underscore <laughs> everything on everything that i everything I'm working I've on. I've also seen
0: implementation partners create a managed package for their code. It wouldn't be certified obviously, but it would be a managed package. So That's they would different. have a namespace. That's different. And they would isolate yeah. the code they yeah. built. Um, thus locking in the IP, yeah. which I disagree with because they don't own that code either.
1: Well, that's different. They're paid to develop it. So if they only gave their customer a managed package and didn't give them the code at all, and and they didn't have an agreement where the partner would own that IP, then yeah, that's wrong. But that's making a lot of assumptions. Though. That's a lot yeah. of ifs. Um, there are, I think you can make arguments for managed packages just for, that are only going to be installed in one order. Um, some of the new packaging stuff. I think it has started to erode that away, though. So that's but that's a whole other thing. Um, so I'll say that in in general, um, it kind of depends on what you're doing. Um, if your org has is going to have a you know somewhere in the hundred classes, two hundred classes, maybe you don't need prefixes. But I mean, I've done work in orgs that we have thousands of classes, and if because again because there's no namespaces. Yeah. My, it's my lifelong mission, is to get namespaces in Apex. Either that, or give well, me DX, give me a replacement can, for Apex. Let me with do. With DX, you can organize things into folders. Oh no, it's things. totally different, and it's not namespaces at all. It's not namespaces. No, it's not. It's, it's not at all. It's it's an organization. It makes you. That's it makes it, worried about. It, yeah, well, it's not all I'm worried about. It it you can lets you put things in different places on your hard drive. Okay, I guess that's something, but. Not, still not great because they're, st- they're still all in the same namespace domain. So it doesn't really, doesn't really do that much. Um, anyway, in, in cases where you've got lots of classes, it really does help a ton. To I mean, if you're working on a, on like a, a certain module, like a, let's say it's a configurator module, like and that's, that in its, of itself could have hundreds of classes, yeah. um, for no other reason just to keep some minimal level of insanity... Or of, in, of sorry of sanity, or or to minimize insanity, maybe undersc- maybe prefix all those with uh, you know config, yeah, you know configurator or whatever. Um, I think it works. the other problem you run up against is Salesforce classes Apex classes, can only be forty name forty characters I think, which is super limited. Um, it it actually compounds this problem of having no namespaces, because if you if you're prefixing like imagine you can prefixing all your your classes with config underscore, and then you're, you're post-fixing them, like, say, test class with underscore test, well, that leaves you, you went from having 40 characters for your class name to having, I don't know, 20-something. Tw- and it's me always using underscore T instead of I test. I do, too. I do underscore yeah. T, yeah. All right. But where were we? I don't know. Um, Naming
0: conventions, under- prefixing, suffixing, underscore T's...
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, basically, if, if you're starting an initiative and or a new, like a new module or a new project and it's going to be something that's fairly, like, contained, then prefix it. There's, there, and there's nothing, there's no great, there's no silver bullet here, because this is just, it, it has no bearing on actual visibility to classes from other classes or anything like that. It's not going to help you with any of that. It's just, it's going to sort things in your IDE better.
0: Yeah. And... Which, that can be tricky as well. I mean, I've, I've done things like prefixing and underscoring and tried to come up with some kind of mechanism, and I still get the wrong sorting. Like, I might have a class that's like, I don't know, underscore system. Or, I'm sorry, my code underscore system, and then I have my code my code underscore um, cipher, or something mic, or
1: cipher or something. Get on that mic. Oh, get on the mic. There you go. You want me to kiss it? That that that's fine. Put your mouth on like it. Make love to it. Yeah, sure. You know, so people can hear you.
0: <laughs> but oh, that's a big difference. Sorry. Yeah, it, uh, yeah. I, I get it. <laughs> now. That's, what I get like. it. <laughs> that's what it's supposed to sound like. Sorry. That's what it's supposed uh, to sound like. Trying to treat it as a way to kind of organize and group your code together can be problematic sometimes because you'll you'll inevitably come up with some some new name for something that'll like shift things around and that's annoying to me. I used to do it a lot, now I don't, I've don't. i given up on it. I name things what they should be named, and that's the end of it. And the closest I come to try to group things is I'll, I will... If I have a class that has a test class that's specific for it, it'll be named the same thing but underscore T. But even now, I'm starting to go away from that, I'm trying to get to kind of more... I guess, maybe I'm transitioning to what you do, which is more kind of functional testing, but I'm really trying to get to more persona-based testing, where I kind of define... Classes based on a persona, so this function, admin, for lack of a better word, this is the test for that admin for this particular feature, this is the test for this standard user for this particular feature, that type of thing, yeah. and run those tests, because inevitably they'll touch the same code, but they'll touch it with different permissions, and I, that's what I need to test. That's what I need to know, versus just testing a bunch of methods and making sure I get code coverage. Obviously, I still do my assertions and validate Inserts, updates, all that kind of stuff. But I'm starting to move towards since I've moved towards more story-based requirements, I'm starting to move towards more persona-based testing
1: as well. Okay. To kind of coincide yeah. with that. Makes sense. Those are yeah, those are what I you know, good old functional tests. Yeah. And those are the kind of tests that you sit down with your customer, whether it's your product manager or your an actual external customer, and those are the things you agree on.
0: Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to get to. Um, yeah. I, I guess I guess it's a different world for me as well because traditionally I would be given a requirement. It would have a set of functions and features, inputs and outputs, and that's what I would test. I would test that my methods would take a certain input and it would produce a certain output. And so my, taste, my testing was really isolated to those type of features. I think now that I'm responsible for a larger scope of a project and I, can, I have the chance to really kind of deci- decide what it does and have an opinion on what it does, I can move towards more persona based. Maybe popping the stack and going back to the other question in terms of how you write a design. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe how you approach the design affects how you approach the testing, from a developer perspective. Mm.
1: Uh, There's a yeah, difference yeah, between yeah. getting a. a what well, if you do TBD, then your tests dictate <laughs> your design? Yeah,
0: because there, there is a difference between how I used to approach testing and how I approach it now, because. Before, I was just testing this feature. It got in some input. It's supposed to produce a certain output, and that's what I would test. I'm there. Okay. My, my, this my is, technique is fine. Okay. <laughs> but now, I'm more concerned about all the different roles and everything that I need to, to support in this application, and so my testing is geared more towards that versus specific
1: inputs and outputs. I need a certain experience to, to carry through. Yeah, it's, and it's also the concept of... You can have tests and parameterize those by um, certain dimensions. So one could be like the, the, the role. the role. Yeah. You might have like a – like I want to run all these tests as user type A, and then I want to run all those tests again as user type B. And then, you know, I, like an example, like I'm working on something right now where I'm testing – I've got this integration tests for an API. Mm-hmm. And I've the tests. And, of course, you can't do this in source But in <laughs> i prioritize the tests by – The serialization type. So all the tests they they all run once with JSON as the what do you call that the content type or whatever the serialization type, and then and then it runs all the exact same tests again, but with XML as the type. So they make sure that all those tests are working regardless of which one you're using. Yeah, but it's you don't have to write the test twice. Right. Just parameterize the test. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly that idea. It's like yeah. yeah.
0: So I think in terms of naming convention, I, I will offer one tip. And that is if you if you are going to implement some kind of naming convention in your classes, you want to say something. Don't That's don't.
1: just you know we love getting your tip, John. Yeah. You've always find you've and always use got an good, IDE every week.
0: You give us good tips. Find and use an IDE that, that supports refactoring because inevitably you're going to make you're going to make a wrong name change, and you can either you can either block yourself with trying to figure out the perfect name for something, or try to stick to some convention. Or you can allow yourself to refactor that naming convention, which means you're gonna have to make a lot of changes. So I mean, find something that supports
1: refactoring. Besides the industry-leading Illuminated Cloud, are there any IDEs? Are there any other? What are the other solutions out there that do tr- like true refactoring? Meaning it, it's I don't know. It builds like an AST of your ent- of all your code and understands not just like by text matching, not a find and replace, but it's semantically understands all your code and does you know intelligent refactoring. Yeah, I don't know. You know I
0: mean, I'm, they, pretty, I'm pretty biased, so I don't know. But, but either way, I mean, the only thing that makes naming conventions somewhat palatable is the ability to refactor and change it, so that as you change your naming conventions or you learn something from your naming conventions, you have the option to advance it. If you don't have something
1: automated to help you refactor it, it doesn't matter. You're going to have pain. Because what happens when you do a big refactor and rename all these things, and then how do you get them back into your org? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, do yeah. you don't have any tips for us on that, John? No. <laughs> no comment out a bunch of code, stub a class, oh save it, and then redo it. Which is kind of, this goes back to, what, to what, our conversation what, what with. What with CIO is going to be comfortable, or IT manager to be comfortable with you using that as your deployment strategy into production?
0: CIOs don't do technology I they're anymore. They're checked
1: out, they're checked out. They're so checked out, especially with Salesforce. Yeah. or any of these. So, they, that's why CIOs love software as a service, because they're like, it's all you. I've
0: seen so many headlines like, CIO well, isn't about my technology
1: anymore, and I'm
0: like, yep, it's not, no. it's not. You just have to it's, pick the right vendor. It's yeah. not going to get you fired. It's,
1: it's, all, it's like strategy, business strategy.
0: Maybe it should be that. I don't know. I, 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 naming conventions are fine. Find something that works for you. Find something that makes sense. Know that you're going to change it at yeah. some point and build that into your process, how you're going to change it, how you're going to refactor it, how you're going to advance it, how you're going to document it and make yeah. sure everyone's consistent. Because the worst thing about having conventions and naming naming conventions in general is enforcing it. Uh, that means code review that means just making sure everything's consistent.
1: Yep. And, and again, it's, it's certainly in the, in the apex world, it's not a silver bullet. It gets you, it helps you a little bit. It, when you have thousands of classes, you know, being able to go to all the ones that are for your configurator and just see those on, you know, without having to page thousands. I mean, that helps you a little bit. And also like, you know, in any given, si- any decent sized code base, I mean, and that I've ever worked on, you know, there's going to be any number of like, for example, tokenizers. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, in, in a, in a language that has namespaces, like it with buried within some namespace of some specific screen or config, you might have just a class called tokenizer. Yeah. And then in some completely other module, somewhere else, some other there's also a tokenizer. tokenizer. But they're both private to the module. They don't there's no visibility across between them. But in Salesforce you don't have that. So you might but you might be able to get away with you might have a config underscore tokenizer. Yeah. And then you might have somewhere else a Accounts payable underscore tokenizer, right? You know, it, it'll help you a little bit. It's not the end of the. I mean, again, true. It, in a any decent sized configurator, you're probably going to have several things that would be called tokenizer. So you're going to have to give them, you know, config underscore product name tokenizer, config yeah. underscore serial number tokenizer, something, you know, things like that. Um, so, so, but it, it'll help you a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and probably another tip is if you do. I I don't I don't mean to keep going back to IC. I feel like I'm advertising but it is a pretty good product. Whenever you log in if you're using version control, one thing IC will do and I'm sure a lot of other IDs will do is that it'll run it'll run a check against your code, against your uh, standardized practices or your you can you can define what your conventions are in an IDE like IntelliJ and things like that, and so it can run a check against that and it can flag it before it does a commit to your repository. Of whether or not the code that's being checked in meets that and of course you can override it and still mm. commit it but yeah. it's, it's one thing to help automate that if you're trying to mitigate it across a larger team or a distributed team so there's there's things that you can implement to to kind of mitigate that or kind of make it easier on you but it requires a lot more upfront preparation
1: yeah so. it's tough you know it's it's like you said, you, you make a you know, you make a plan, you go forward with it, but of course no you know even the best laid battle plans don't survive first contact with the enemy. Is that what mm-hmm. it is? You know, it, it's it's one of those
0: endeavors that you have to kind of be flexible and you have to kind of have to take your lessons and learn it and make adjustments
1: and so you come up with something you feel is pretty solid at least for your team. And, and what works right now, you know, eighteen months from now may not, may, you know may not work anymore. You may have to s- start subdividing namespaces and things like that. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. It's,
0: it's like with anything you, you know when you develop something and someone asks you to make a change and that change is super simple because of the way you designed it you kind of feel validated that you designed it right but then if someone asks you to make a change and you're like oh my god that's a month's worth of rework yeah <laughs> the it, it, same thing's going to happen you're going right. to name something something and you're going to have a new requirement and you're like oh this falls right in line I feel like I made the right decision and then yeah. you're going to have a moment where you're like crap this blows everything out of the water yeah I gotta start over right <laughs> so anyways
1: yeah thank you both for those uh, topics they're great oh. I was just gonna say if you know, we're wrapping up um, get in our conversations channel if you are interested in maybe going to the Dallas what's it called world club world world tour world tour Dallas world tour um, just so I know whether I can you know I should attend anything or we can just organize this depending on what night and, if might you're not, be able and, to. and of course in order to do that you have to be in our Slack. So if you're not in our Slack, get in our Slack, which is at gooddaysirpodcast.com. You click community, put in your email address, John will add you. I do have to do it manually. So it's be, a manual. Please yeah. be patient. And then we delete the email address. We don't we, we don't take any ads, believe it or not, even from Unlimited Cloud. We get we get we just <laughs> like it. We don't get any we don't get any compensation. We don't sell anything. Um, this is. We, do, we don't own this community. We just facilitate it. And so we don't really, um, yeah, there's nothing going on there. Nope. Um, what else, John? Like us on the socials. Write a review. Love to get reviews. Yep. Share us with your friends. Just tell people about us. And we're, this is, it's you know, we, we grow so, slowly but surely. It's growing, you know. It's like an inchworm. Yeah, pretty much. bored, Yeah. You know. So, but I think there's still, if you go by the numbers that Salesforce tells you, we haven't even, we haven't even... 000% <laughs>
0: exactly. Of the yeah, pretty much. Of the five point something billion
1: developers that they claim to have, I think it's eighty-two million now. Is it? I don't know. I'm stuck on eighty-two. Earlier it was eighty-two gifts. That's my number. Eighty-two? Yeah. Why is that? Hey, is John, Goodyear? I have I have nine Goodyear, I have nine t- title candidates. How many do you have? Of course. I just, for the record, just uh, let it be known that John just held up the sign for a goose egg.
0: I didn't do my homework. (laughs) You didn't do
1: it. You didn't. The dog ate it. The dog ate my titles.
0: (laughs) Well, that's... There you go. And to that, I say, good day, sir.
1: You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.